Welcome to Chapter One with Houston Public Library, where we give you just enough story to get you hooked. Today's episode features After Zero by Christina Collins, read by Jasmine. This title is intended for tweens and is suitable for most audiences. Recording is made with permission of Sourcebooks. Chapter One It's amazing how few words a person can get by with. I scratch a tally mark into my notebook and grin. Yesterday it was two, and three the day before that. Today it's one. One word all morning, a new record. If Mr. Scroggins hadn't asked me to name the capital of Russia last period, it could have been zero. When Miss Looping turns from the board, I move my pencil so it looks like I'm taking notes. I almost feel sorry about not paying attention. Miss Looping isn't so bad. She wears dark velvet dresses and is in love with Charles Dickens. Her stuffed raven, Beatty, keeps looking at me. I sneak glances at his perch, waiting for him to open his beak and craw, but he never moves. Maybe it's Beatty's stare, or Miss Looping's dresses, or her pasty skin that makes people wonder about her. Most students think she's weird. I don't mind her. She doesn't call on me or hold class discussions. Mr. Gankle and Miss Deevely like that sort of thing, so they never give me A's. Neither does Miss Bobo, who thinks the best way to learn French is to speak it aloud. Miss Looping is the only one who doesn't penalize me for not talking. She puts A's on all my papers and drops comments in the margins, things like good point and nice word choice, and recommends poets I might like. Sometimes I add a note back to her. Thanks for understanding, Miss L. But she never gets to know because you don't give papers back to teachers after they're graded. <sighs> I jump as Artie Pilker sneezes next to me, spraying my arm. I hate when people sneeze. Not because of the spraying, well, that too, but because they expect me to say, bless you, or God bless you, if they believe in God. Someone across the room yells, Gesundheit, and I relax. My tally remains one. But lunch is next, and that will be trickier. People like to talk at lunch. I look back at the tally mark in my notebook. If I want my record to last more than three periods, I need a new tactic for the cafeteria today. A stronger shield, harder armor. When the bell rings, I hurry past Beatty, avoiding his gaze. I wish Miss Looping would turn him to face the wall. In the hallway, I empty my books into my locker, all except for one this time. Then I make my way to the cafeteria, armed and ready. I slip into my seat at the end of Mel's table. Mel, Sylvia, Nellie, and Teresa are deep in conversation and don't pause at my arrival. They never do these days. Sometimes their eyes slide sideways, but I don't always see this because I keep my own eyes down. I pull the Oxford Books of Sonnets out of my bag, open it, and eat my sandwich. I get through a whole poem without anyone trying to talk to me. Two poems? Two and a half? Why didn't I think of this before? Read a book? Such a simple solution. You're reading at lunch? Sylvia's voice clangs against my armor. I keep my eyes on the page. It must be a good book then. I force my eyes to move left to right, left to right. If I don't, they'll think I heard. They'll think I'm faking. I can feel them all looking. To these girls, I'm the elephant in the room. And no one can really relax when there's an elephant in the room, least of all the elephant. I've tried sitting at an empty table, 
but that makes everyone stare more. Like it or not, sitting at Mel's table is better than sitting alone. I'm so jealous of your eyebrows, Sylvia's voice again. I swear they get bigger every day. No one responds, so I know her words are meant for me. I try to focus on the typeface in front of me. It blurs. I drag my eyes away in spite of myself and find Sylvia in the seat next to Mel, slowly twirling a french fry between her fingers, a smirk playing on the corner of her lip. Mel shifts in her seat. I think they're pretty. She must still feel an obligation toward me, considering she's my neighbor and all, and the closest thing I have to a friend. She's too late, though. I'm already scanning the other girl's eyebrows, noting the safe, sure spaces between them, and fighting the urge to reach up and fill mine. Sylvia's french fry pauses at Mel's comment, but only for a split second. Her smirk doesn't budge. I could have fixed them for you at Nellie's sleepover Saturday. Why didn't you come? An open-ended question. Sylvia's specialty. She sits back and takes a bite of her fry, waiting, watching me. Everyone watches me. Everyone except Mel, who's examining her food. I push my tongue against my teeth. One word, any word, and I can start over. I can wipe the slate clean, and they'll forget I haven't spoken at this table in the past ten minutes. Or the past week. Or the past seven months. Sweat collects under my arms. I can feel it happening. My throat closing up. The bubble forming around me. The cop-out coming. Here it comes. My shoulders move up and down in a quick motion, a shrug. Sylvia cocks her head. You're awfully quiet today. Today, as if it's different from any other day. Give her a break. Mel picks up her soda and stirs the straw. The ice crashes together. Sylvia's smirk flickers. She shoots Mel a look. Why? Didn't her parents teach her how to talk? She talks. When? Mel concentrates on her food. I try to catch her eye, but I'm losing her. The longer I go without saying something, the more tired she grows of defending me. One of these days, she might stop altogether. Hours pass, or maybe seconds, before someone changes the subject to something about the sleepover last Saturday. They always lose interest in the elephant eventually. I can count on that. I return to the page where I left off. But my eyes slide upward. Faces look at me funny. Funnier than usual. No one in the cafeteria is reading. The point of the book was to draw attention away from me. To show that I'm busy, unavailable, otherwise engaged. But it's backfiring. I close the book, pick up my bag, and leave the cafeteria. Mel doesn't call after me. I go back to Miss Looping's room, still empty except for Beatty. I'll have to put up with him staring. At least he won't talk to me. And if Miss Lupin comes back early, she won't try to make small talk like the other teachers. She'll let me be. I sit in the back row near the open window and return to my book. Something moves in the corner of my eye. I look over to Miss Lupin's desk where Beatty is watching me. A fly buzzes past. I swat at it and try to keep reading, but the print blurs. Worse than before. Instead of poetry... I see Sylvia's smirk all over the page. You're awfully quiet today. You're awfully quiet today. My teeth grind. I slam the book shut and punch it with the side of my fist. 
At the same time, a black shape leaps in my periphery and another noise shakes the room. A shattering of ceramic. I jerk my head up to find Beatty on the floor near Miss Looping's desk, rocking on his side. Miss Looping's what the dickens coffee mug lies in pieces next to him. I grab my book and bolt out the door, my heart thudding. Relax, I tell myself as I stumble down the hall. He's a stuffed bird. Top-heavy, that's all. Top-heavy things tip over sometimes. Still, there's something about Beatty I've never trusted. His feathers are too feather-like, his talons too talon-like. I walk faster, turning left and right under the glare of fluorescent lights down more halls with burnt orange walls. Farther ahead now I see double doors and a sign, a word in block letters. Quiet. I slow, squinting. The word follows me, haunts me. It won't leave me alone. I can't remember when people started using it. There must have been a day, a moment, but it's all I've heard since then. Elise is so quiet. Elise, you've been quiet. What do you think about such and such? That's her over there, the quiet one. Mr. Scroggins writes the same note on all my social studies papers. Terrific work, Elise. You present a strong, fluid argument. But I wish you'd speak up more in class. You're very quiet. I try to ignore the word, but there's something about it. Something that tells me it isn't a compliment. Quiet. Now it appears as illusions on the walls. What next? Voices in my head? Tightening my fists, I walk toward the sign. I'll break the illusion. I'll stare down and scare it away. The rest of the sign comes into focus. Quiet in the library. The words wink at me. I blink and read them again. The librarian doesn't notice me come in. Her back is turned as she arranges books on a shelf. Bernard Billows snoozes at a table in the corner, wearing the same t-shirt and sweatpants he wears every day. I can smell a spoiled cologne from here. No one else is in the library. It must not be a popular lunch spot. I've been here only once, seven months ago after the second day of school. Back when I was still curious about everything. I'd never seen a public school library before. But I left after two minutes. There were too many people here then. The Jigsaw Puzzle Club or something. Green Pasture Middle School loves that club stuff. They have this initiative where every student has to join at least one club or team before spring vacation. The principal keeps reminding us in his intercom announcements. Mel and Sylvia and all of them are in the choir and the drama club. I still haven't joined anything. I sit at a table in the farthest corner of the library near the poetry section and open my book. It takes me a minute to find my place. Before long, I actually turn a page. And another. No eyes stare at me this time. No one tries to talk to me. I decide to come back for lunch the next day. And maybe even the next. A bird croaks outside the window, but I refuse to let it break my concentration. I can already taste the victory of tomorrow's tally. Zero. Wondering what happens next? Check out After Zero by Christina Collins, available in multiple formats at www.houstonlibrary.org.